0: Well, hello, church. It's good to be with you. My name's Ethan. Uh, if you're a guest here with us today, we're glad you're here. If you're worshiping with us online, you're in the right place. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, we've been working through the book of Hebrews, uh, and God has been good to us in this series. It's been a good reminder of how much God loves us, and we're going to we're gonna work through Hebrews a little bit more here in just a minute. Uh, before we jump into that, a couple things. Uh, first of all, I want to make sure you're working on your Easter plan, Okay. Who are you planning on inviting? What service are you planning to attend? Remember, we for this to work out, for us to have room to welcome the guests we think God's going to bring, we need about 400 people to go to the Saturday night service, and we need about 300 people to shift uh, from one of the late morning services to our 815 service. So maybe that's you who needs to make one of those shifts. That'd be great. But of course, if the people you're bringing with you, whatever service they can come to, you come to to make sure their experience is what we want it to be. Uh, But so be making your Easter plan. I also want to tell you a little bit about some stuff that's coming up after Easter. Um, but And to help you kind of get a feel for it, I'll tell you a story. 2008, um, a church uh, up in Maryland where Betsy and I worked, uh, we did this thing where we um, we did a sermon series and attached to the sermon series, there was a Bible study and we produced a bunch of Bible study booklets and we gave them out to people in the church. And the challenge was to start a group with people you know that don't have a church home and and don't have a relationship with God. We challenge everybody in the church just to grab some books and go home and launch a Bible study with people that didn't have a church. And so Betsy and I did it. We uh, invited a bunch of parents from our kids' preschool, uh, and it was terrifying because, like, hey, you want to come to our house Tuesday for supper and a... Uh, book study? And almost all of them said, no. Um, But a few said yes. Uh, A few said yes. And so a couple weeks later, we started with a handful of families and little rugrats all over the floor. And we're trying to do this book study. Uh, The book was called uh, One Month to Live. And it was just about how would you live differently if you only had a month left? And the idea was, why don't we live that way every day? And um, And they, of course, when we were hearing sermons about it too, they weren't going, they weren't hearing sermons, but they did the book study. Um, A couple years later, we got to baptize one of them. And then the next year, we got to baptize another. And the next year, another. And then another after that. I got to do, uh, I got to marry one of the couples uh, that uh, had never gotten married. We got to baptize some of their kids. Uh, It was amazing what God did out of that that group. I tell you that story uh, because that's what we're doing after Easter. Uh, We're going to do the same sermon series, One Month to Live, do the same study, and we are challenging, I am challenging you... Uh, to do this thing. And I can testify, it'll be scary, but it be, might, might be the coolest thing you've ever done in your life. Um, so do it. Uh, if, if you want to get trained in this, one of our information opportunities is today. You could just stay after church for lunch down in the CLC. Just walk right down there. We'll feed you lunch. We'll talk about the curriculum, about how you can launch a group. We'll have more opportunities for training in the weeks to come. We want everybody, I want you just to just at least consider whether you could do this. Maybe grab one other couple or grab a friend or something like that and say, we're gonna do it. And then invite the people you know who are far from God and far from the church and say, hey, you want to do this thing with us? We'll have dinner and we'll talk about it and and just see what God does with it. Uh, it, it was amazing. Um, in fact, the The first couple we invited to that group that said, yes, uh, they're actually visiting us this weekend. Um, uh, Betsy baptized her, and I baptized him. I I did their wedding, uh, and she's now on staff uh, at a church. She's a pastor. It's amazing. And um, so we're going to go to lunch with them later today. It's so cool. Um, So maybe you could get a story like that. So be ready for that. If you want information about that, about how you could lead one of these groups and maybe lead your friends to Christ, um, jump down uh, in the CLC right after church today, 1230 uh, be there. All right, let's talk about Hebrews. Our title for this series is True and Better. And you just hear those words and you're skeptical, right? Could it really be true and better? Aren't most of the things that say they're true and better, don't they end up not being true and better? And yet we're all still looking. We're all still hoping to find something that is true true and better. Find something that is real. And the Bible says that that thing we're looking for is actually a person. The thing we're looking for is actually Jesus. Jesus is the one who is true and better. We've been working through the book of Hebrews. We've seen that Jesus is the true and better messenger. If you want to know what God's will is and what God's word is, you look at Jesus. He's better than the prophets, better than the angels. He's the true and better messenger. We looked at chapters 3 and 4, and we saw that Jesus is the true and better lawgiver. Better than Moses, Jesus gives us a law that leads to rest because Jesus fulfills the law, and we just have to trust in him. We looked at chapters 5, 6, and 7 and saw that Jesus is the true and better priest. Jesus is, a priest is one who reconnects us with God, and Jesus is the only one who can really do it. Jesus saves us completely, and he intercedes eternally so that we can approach God confidently, and we will be received mercifully. Then last week, we looked at chapters 8, 9, and 10, and we saw that Jesus is a true and better sacrifice. That the debt we owe, the price we need to pay, has been paid by Jesus. And when we approach God, we do so with a clean slate, owing nothing but our worship and our love, because our debt has been paid by Jesus Christ. And along the way, every time God's word reminds us that Jesus is the true and better priest, the true and better sacrifice, the true and better lawgiver, the true and better message, the refrain, the invitation of the book of Hebrews remains the same. Put Your trust in Jesus. And this invitation is both an invitation and a warning. An invitation to trust and a warning that if we do not trust Jesus, all these benefits are lost to us. We see it throughout the book. Chapter 3, verse 6. Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Chapter 4, verse 2. We also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have trusted enter that rest just as God has promised. Last week we looked at chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for the one who promised is faithful. And then the very last verse we read last week, verse 39, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith And are saved. You you could summarize the whole book of Hebrews with these two simple phrases. Jesus is true and better. Therefore, choose to trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus and keep trusting Jesus. That, that's the invitation of Hebrews just over and over and over again. Put your trust in Jesus and don't stop trusting Jesus. Uh, this, this theme is so important to the book of Hebrews. I want to make sure we have some clarity. What does it mean to trust something or to put your faith in something? Uh, the book of Hebrews gives us a little definition. It's the very next verse as we keep moving forward in the book, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith, it's the same word as trust. It's one Greek word. We translate it different ways in English. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. Faith has an element of the future in it, doesn't it? There's an element to trust in something is to have confidence in what you hope will happen over what is Happening Assurance about what you do not yet see over what you do see. Uh, we need to kind of think about this a little bit philosophically here. To trust in something is when you put your belief into action. Uh, to trust in something, to put your faith in something, is to choose to rely on it. Right? To choose to rely on a person, to choose to rely on an object, to choose to rely on a bridge, to choose to rely on an airplane, to choose to rely on something is to trust it, to put your faith in it. You might even doubt it. You know, you're worried, I don't know if that bridge is going to hold. My car, but if you drive over it, then you are entrusting yourself to the bridge, even though you might have a few doubts You can have high trust to rely on something a lot. You can have low trust to rely on it a little You can have well-placed trust. That's when you trust in something rely in something that proves to be reliable you can have poorly placed trust that's when you rely on something that proves to be unreliable trust is not the same as certainty but it is a choice to rely on something someone some situation we sometimes criticize blind trust don't we you know to when you trust something without any evidence or reason for it but honestly blind trust is very rare Usually when you put your trust in something, you've got at least some reason to do so. Might not be a good reason, but you've usually got some reason. Maybe it's just because you've got nothing else to trust, so you might as well trust in something. And everyone is. Everyone is trusting in Something. Living a life of trust is not something unique to people of religious and spiritual persuasions. No, everybody is trusting in something. Everybody's relying on something. Maybe you're relying on yourself, your own strength, your own wisdom. Maybe you're relying on your your wealth or your family. Maybe you're relying on your situation or your government. But everybody is putting their trust in something. That's just the way the world works. Which leads me to a question, how do you decide, how do you actually decide what to trust? How do you decide who to trust? Have you just fallen into it? Or have you made some decisions about who you're going to trust? And what would it take for you to put your trust in Christ? Or for you to keep trusting Christ, to, to rely, to decide to rely on his salvation, to decide to rely on his wisdom and his direction as you make choices in your life, to decide to rely on his promises. Boy, that wouldn't that be, wouldn't that change your life if you said, I'm gonna rely on the promises of God? How would you make a decision to trust like that? There are lots of things that help, right? Um, study helps. There are some things I trust because I've studied them, right? Like, you know, you, you study the, the laws of physics and engineering, and so you'll trust a bridge, or you confirm the history and study the evidence, and you, so you rely on some historical fact. This is a big part of my faith as a Christian, is I've studied the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I just think the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is overwhelming. And, And so that's a big part of why I trust in Jesus. I think he rose from the dead. I think the evidence is strong for it. Another way people come to trust in a situation is through experiment which leads to experience, right? That's the way it works. You have an experiment, and that leads to experience. Now, I'm not saying you thought of it as an experiment, but there are all kinds of things that you trust today because you trusted them in the past, and it worked out for you, right? There are people that you trust today because they've been reliable in the past. Some of you, this is the way you are with God. You, know, you walk in faith, and if I were to ask you why, it's because you just say, well, God's never let me down yet. I've been trusting Jesus my whole life long, and he's been so reliable, it's easy for me to trust God today. This is my, my normal answer when people come to me and they're struggling with sin, And they're trying to figure out, they're like, to obey Jesus seems so hard. And everybody else is living this way and doing this, and that seems so easy. Ethan, what's your argument for why I should trust Jesus and not just go the way I want to go? And my main answer is, well, try it. Run an experiment. Test the faithfulness of God. Live in obedience to Christ and see if God does does not bless obedience. Because my experience is God has always blessed my obedience. And almost every bit of chaos and pain I've faced in my life has been due to my disobedience or somebody else's disobedience. That's what I see. I see a world full of evil because humans disobey God. And when people trust God, I see a world full of blessing. That's just what I see. So I would just say, just try it. Run an experiment of obedience and see if God is not faithful. Uh, the, the third big way, though, that we build trust is through testimony. We hear from others who have trusted, and we hear about faithfulness. And, and again, this is not just a spiritual thing. None of these things are just spiritual things. This is just normal, right? This is why you read the reviews on Amazon, right? This is why you check the Rotten Tomatoes score before you go to watch a movie. You want to know the testimony of others, to find out what you should do. In fact, that reminds me, my friends are in town this week. We need to take them out for lunch after church today. Um, Who's got a restaurant? Where should I take my my friends for lunch today? Anybody got a suggestion for me? Applebee's? Applebee's? Now, you like Applebee's? You think I'd be a good place to take them? Now, how do you know it's such a good restaurant? You've been there like one time and you just got lucky? You've been there a lot, and the food's been reliably good. All right, that's a testimony. Who's got some other place I should take him? Anybody else? Where should I take him? Red Lobster. Why should I take him to Red Lobster? Because it's the bomb. Is it good? Okay. How do you know it's so good? Because we've been there like ten thousand. You've been there ten thousand times. Okay. See, see that—that's the way a testimony works. That's that—that's the way a testimony works. Is you hear people say, have you eaten the Cheddar Bay biscuits at Red Lobster? If you haven't, you have not lived. And then you're like, okay, I guess I better go to Red Lobster. And all of a sudden, you don't, need to, you don't have to do a bunch of study or a bunch of experiments. Suddenly, you find yourself trusting Red Lobster because you have heard the testimony. And see, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is that you would trust in Jesus. That's the reason he wrote the whole book. It's the reason I've preached through the book, is so you would trust in Jesus. And for 10 chapters, he has explained the benefits of trusting Jesus. He's explained what comes to those who trust Jesus. Those who trust Jesus can rest, and those who trust Jesus can rejoice, and those who trust Jesus are reconnected to God, and those who trust Jesus had their debts paid, and now it's time for the testimony. And that's all chapter 11 is. It's just testimony after testimony. He gives the testimony of Abel and the testimony of Enoch and the testimony of Noah. And from their testimony, he draws this conclusion without trust, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He wants us to think about the testimony of Abraham. Verse 8, he says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed, and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. Isn't that a picture of trust? You don't know where you're going, and you don't know when you'll get there, and yet God says, and you obey. That's what it looks like to trust. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs to the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. If Abraham had been looking forward to the city that he could have built with his own hands, he would have stayed at home where he knew people and he was a rich landowner and he would have built his own city with his own hands. But he was looking forward to what only God could give so he trusted in God. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore the amazing thing about the testimony of Abraham is that he trusted in a promise he never saw fulfilled. And yet the author of Hebrews can look back and say, I got to see it, Phil. God kept all the promises God made to Abraham. God kept all the promises God made to Isaac. He wants us to understand The example of Abraham who put his trust in what God could accomplish rather than putting his trust in what he could accomplish. I'm just curious this morning. Where have you anchored your trust? What are you relying on today? So many things invite you to trust them. First of all, your own heart says, trust yourself. What is the track record of that which you are trusting right now? If you're trusting yourself, are you reliable? Really? That's the track record you have with yourself is one that leads you to trust yourself? Could you listen today? Would you just listen, open your heart to the testimony of those who have trusted God and found God faithful? He goes on in chapter 11 to remind us of the faith of Isaac and the faith of Jacob and the faith of Joseph and the faith of Moses' mom and the faith of then Moses who all trusted God to keep God's promises he reminds us how they trusted God to part the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea. How they trusted God to bring down the walls of Jericho and God brought them down. How Rahab trusted God to honor her sacrifice and the risks that she took and God honored Rahab again and again. And then he ends chapter 11 with this crescendo. What more shall I say? I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophet. Prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. And he concludes this section, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. All of these people trusted in God's promises. Even trusting in promises they would never see fulfilled. And in all those promises, God was faithful. And the author of Hebrews says, Listen to this testimony because you have choices to make about who you're gonna trust. Listen to this testimony. Why does he mention all these people, right? I remember as a, as a kid, I remember a poster in a Sunday school class, and it said on the top Heroes of Faith. And then it listed all these names from Hebrews chapter 11. I misunderstood that poster as a child. I thought these people must all be like super great people. They must be heroes, right? But they're not. Like some of them are scoundrels. I mean, these aren't necessarily the people I would want you to imitate. I mean, maybe a few, but not most of them. Most of them are not particularly good people. They're not heroes. They're heroes of faith. The thing these people have in common, the thing that makes their names worth telling is that they trusted in God and God was faithful to them. They put their confidence in their hope for the future God was bringing rather than the present that they were experiencing. They put their assurance in what they could not yet see that God was doing than what they already could see that was happening all around them. And now, through Jesus, their trust has been shown to be well placed. God is now keeping all those promises God made. And all these witnesses, all this testimony of all these people who trusted in God and God was found faithful leads to a therefore. You remember how the book of Hebrews is structured, right? Complicated theological sections ending in blunt, clear commands that start with the word therefore. Well, here's the one we get to finally in chapter 12. Look with me there in verse 1. Therefore, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. I want to talk through that therefore with you just a minute. I want you to know what's going on. Look at that first phrase. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is one of the most misunderstood phrases in the Bible, and I want you to know what it means. Sometimes we look at that text and we imagine what it means is that we, as we live our life, are being watched by all these people. Therefore, since we're surrounded and Moses is watching us and Noah is watching us and your great-great-grandma is watching us, better be super careful. No, that is not what this phrase means. This doesn't mean witnesses in the sense of watchers. It means like witnesses in the courtroom. It means testifiers. He's saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by people who can testify to the reliability of the faithfulness of our God through Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's looking back to chapter 11 and saying, look at all these people. Many of them scoundrels. All of them sinners. Many of them fools and murderers and rebels. Yet, when they put their trust in God, their God was faithful. Just pay attention to the witnesses. And not just the witnesses of the Old Testament, but you are part of a church that's filled with witnesses. Some of you need a testimony today. You are being challenged to trust God in a situation you did not desire or did not anticipate. You are being challenged to be obedient to Christ in your struggle against sin or being challenged to trust God with a relationship in crisis or being challenged to trust God with a health crisis that has come out of nowhere. And and you need to pay attention to those who would give a testimony because this church is filled with people who can say, I have a testimony about God's faithfulness when I face death. I have a testimony about God's faithfulness in a time of grief. I have a testimony about God's faithfulness to a relationship in crisis. I have testimony to God's faithfulness when I chose to obey him and to flee temptation and resist sin. Some of you need a testimony today. The second thing this verse says is, having paid attention to the testimony about the faithfulness of God, throw off everything that hinders. This is a reference back to all that he's taught us that Jesus has done for you. Some of you are, try- you are trying to carry the weight of the burden of your sin, and you can't do it, and God doesn't want you to. That burden is for Christ to bear. That debt is for Christ to pay. Some of you are begging God to take you back, and you don't understand. God has thrown the gates wide. He sits at his throne. You are welcome. You can confidently enter the throne room of God and receive God's mercy because Christ is interceding. He says, just get rid of that stuff. Don't let that stuff hold you back anymore. And then do what? Run. 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 Run with perseverance the race marked out for you. I love this invitation, not running away in fear, but running the race that God has laid out for you, running with confidence the path God has prepared for you. God has a life for you. And he doesn't want you to timidly, fearfully walk it, but he wants you to run. And and we in our fear, say, but if I run, I might trip. And he says, yes, and I'll pick you up. If I run, I might get lost. He says, not if you fix your eyes on me, because I'm going to be running just one step ahead of you. And if you go the wrong way, I'll catch you and steer you back. Just follow. Just trust. I am reliable. The witness is true. The testimony is good. And I love this thing, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This pioneer, that's the person who blazes the trail, right? That's the person who gets the race started. It's the the pace setter for the race. And this perfecter, that's actually the same word way, way back when we talked about how Jesus saves us completely. It means all the way to the end, all the way to the finish line. This is the promise of Christ. By Christ's strength, you can start the race. And by Christ's strength, you will finish it. That's the promise. You can persevere in the race of obedience and trust because it's Christ's grace that gets you started and it's Christ's grace that will see you in. You say, maybe I'm not prepared to run. I didn't work out. I forgot to stretch. And Jesus says, I got you covered. Let's start the race. And you say, but I'm afraid. What if, I, what if I give up halfway through? I've failed before. I've tried to be faithful before and it didn't work. I succumbed to my sin. I, I turned to temptation. I turned to trust in myself rather than you. I've tripped and fallen before. And Jesus says, I will finish the race. I will the one who give you the strength to run steadfastly all the way to the end. By my strength, you will finish the race, not by yours. And he goes on one more testimony because we have to know that the testimony of Christ himself is a testimony to God's faithfulness. For the joy set before him He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus faced the rejection of those he loved. Jesus faced the cross, and he trusted God. And God was faithful to him. And now he sits in glory at the right hand of the Father. And the same God that was faithful to Jesus will, for you, be faithful through Jesus. This is the invitation of the book of Hebrews. Don't stop trusting Jesus. Can you you listen to that today? Can you just today just hear that invitation? Don't stop trusting Jesus. If you were to keep reading in chapter 12, the the first specific application uh, the the author of Hebrews gives to this is in our struggle against sin. He says in your struggle against sin, don't stop trusting Jesus because, yeah, it's tough. To resist sin that seems so desirable? He says, have, if, if in your struggle against sin, have you yet resisted to the point of shedding blood? And he goes on and talks about this. His point is this, that yes, to resist sin is a challenge, but if you will look around you, you'll find a community that can testify that it's worth it. Some of you are, are struggling. Is, 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 is the struggle of sobriety worth it? Or should I give in to my addiction? Man, I wish you'd ask me that question because I could introduce you to some people who have a testimony you need to hear. Who can say, you're dug on right. It's awful. It's the hardest thing I ever did was to work on sobriety, but it's the best thing I ever did. It's totally worth it. Or let the struggle to save a relationship that is so damaged. Is it worth it? Man, I wish you'd ask me that question. Because I could introduce you to some people who have a testimony you need to hear. He said, it was the worst thing I ever did was to commit to love my spouse. And God's been so faithful, it was the best thing I ever did. God's been so faithful. Yeah, oh, it's so worth it to trust Jesus. If you're struggling today to trust Jesus, I hope you'll pay attention to the book of Hebrews. Maybe you want to start with studying the question. Is Jesus worth trusting? Uh, What you'll discover is there is no one who makes the promises Jesus makes. Like nobody. Not in all human history, not in all human philosophy. There is no one who makes the promises Jesus makes. There are no promises like his. The promise to forgive, the promise to save, the promise to redeem the promise to pay back the years the locusts have taken, the promise to bring you to a home that was built on a foundation that only God could lay, the promise to rescue, the promise to pay your debts, the promise to save you completely and eternally so that you can approach God confidently and be received mercy. Nobody else makes a promise like that. So maybe even if you're doubting, you, you want to trust in him just because he's the only one who makes a promise worth trusting in. I just, I just wonder, are you ready to trust him Maybe today you need to go looking for a testimony. Go to Hebrews 11. Look at the testimony of all those people from the Old Testament. Were they good people? Not particularly. Were they heroes? Not by any definition I know. But they trusted God and God was faithful. Maybe you need to look for a testimony in this room. This room is filled with people that could give you a testimony. They trusted God and God was faithful. They had a choice to, to obey God's way or, or to follow their own desires and follow the patterns of the world. And boy, and, and, and they, they, they chose to obey God's way and God just blessed that choice a hundred times over and they could give you that testimony. Or they chose to ignore God's way and all they've done is reap the destruction that they sowed and and boy they go back and do it a different way in a heartbeat study who you should you trust seek testimony about who you're going to trust and then at some point you just got to decide who you're going to trust that's what hebrews wants you know you just got to decide at some point are you going to put your trust in Jesus and keep trusting Jesus on good days and bad Sickness and health, for richer for poorer, you know? Is, is that your plan? Are you going to put your trust in Jesus or, and keep trusting Jesus? Or is there, is there something else you're going to rely on? And honestly, I don't know what it would be because uh, there's nothing else that makes promises like him. There's nothing else that's come through like he has. I don't know what other track record you're paying attention to. But. And then if you decide to trust Jesus and keep trusting Jesus, well, the good news is you can just run Just run your race. Jesus will get you started. He'll pick you up when you trip and he'll make sure you finish. That's all on him. You just run your race. That's my summary of the whole book of Hebrews. Jesus is true and better. Choose to trust in Jesus. And I got good news for you there's one more therefore in the book. One more therefore in the book of Hebrews. There's some more complicated theology we're not going to get to, but there's one more therefore and I don't want you to miss it. This is this is the therefore for those of us that have said I'm I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to do the thing that the author of Hebrews wants me to do. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus and I'm going to keep trusting Jesus. And if that's you today, I want to hear, want you to hear the last therefore of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. That's where the story of Hebrews ends. Therefore, he's a true and better messenger, so let's listen to him. Therefore, he's a true and better lawgiver, so let's rest in him. Therefore, he's a true and better priest, so you can be saved completely, loved eternally, so that you can approach God confidently and be received mercifully. Therefore, he's a true and better sacrifice, for your every debt is paid. And he is a true and better hope, so therefore, let us be and I just hope you will trust in Jesus today and worship him thankfully. I'm going to pray for us right now. I'm going to be dismissing us in just a minute. I do just want to say, if today's the day that you need help trusting Jesus, come talk to me. Talk to, just find somebody who's got a testimony that will help you keep trusting Jesus. I'd love to be that person for you. Let me pray for you today. God, we worship you. With all our heart, we worship you. For you have made promises like no other, and you are faithful to keep your promises. I pray today for those who need to begin trusting Jesus. Walk them to that place, God, where they would trust in you. I pray today for some who need to keep trusting you. Open their eyes. What else do we have to rely on other than you you are our only hope, so we trust in you, God. I pray for those, God, who have a testimony to give. Open our lips, God, that we can declare your praise, that we can give the testimony we have, that others might hear it and put their hope in you. Let us not keep silent and rob others of their opportunity for faith because we will not share our testimony. And I pray for those today, God, who need a testimony. We have many here today who want to trust you and are hoping to trust you. They just need a word of hope. I pray they would hear the testimony of your scripture that you have kept your promises throughout the ages. And and, and God, I just pray that you would just lead them to the encounter they need, whether it's with me or somebody else, the encounter they need even here in this room because there are people in this room who can give them a testimony of hope if they will just listen to it that they might return their trust to you. And we do, Lord, as a people who trust in you, we do worship you and give you thanks, for we have received from you what we could never accomplish on our own, a kingdom that cannot be shaken and is ours eternally for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. We do this now, even as we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. It is good to worship with you. If you came prepared to give today, you can do that on your way out. And if you need to talk to somebody about taking a step toward trusting Jesus or to keep trusting Jesus, I hope you'll find somebody. Stop by the Connection Kiosk. Come talk to me after the service. I love you so much. Go forward today trusting in Christ Jesus. Amen.